the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. The Financial Sector Conduct Authority has been working overtime to stay on top of the many and varied ways cryptos are being used to scam the public. The FSCA first sounded the alarm on Mirror Trading International back in 2020, and it was subsequently named by Chainalysis as the world's biggest crypto scam that year. But there are plenty of others following in the wake of Mirror Trading International. One thing that would make it far more difficult for crypto scammers to operate is the introduction of regulations covering this new type of asset. Brandon Topham, who is no stranger to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, he's head of enforcement at the FSCA. He joins us for an update. Hi, Brandon. Good to have you back on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Could you update us on where we stand in terms of releasing draft regulations for comment for the crypto sector and when we can expect this to happen? Um, hi to you and, and the audience. It's always good to be on MoneyWeb. The question, though, is not easy to answer at the moment because it is in process. And I've said that a year ago, it's in process. And unfortunately, we haven't made much development when it comes to the answer, but the process is further along. Recently, we sent out an update asking the various crypto asset service providers and various providers to give us an indication of which categories of um, financial service or financial advisors that they would think they would be applying for if we were to open it up. And we um, received, well, over 1,600 persons that would be applying in, in category one, which is advisory and intermediary level alone. So uh, as part of the, that answer is required for us to ensure that the actual licensing process we put in place is um, able to be effective and that we can actually um, issue these licenses in an in a, in a efficient manner. So we, we're getting there internally. Most of the um, queries have been sorted out. So I think it's, let's say, it's imminent to go, go to the next stage where the people will have more opportunities to have, the, have their bit to, to say and their inputs. Right, so there's 1,600 people who responded uh, who clearly would be looking at possibly applying for some kind of license because they're involved in the crypto market. But regulators around the world are grappling with the same issues as we are here in South Africa, but there does seem to be a recognition that cryptos are here to stay and they must therefore be appropriately regulated. Are there any countries that offer a decent model for us to follow? I mean, we've heard about what's happening in the United States and they seem to be quite proactive about this now. I, th I think the country of Singapore and the United Arab Emirates, um, as well as the United Kingdom, they're, they're probably amongst the most uh, developed uh, when it comes to getting the regulations in place. But even they have not really put in place uh, the type of regulations which we envisage will be in place in South Africa um, in, the, in the near future. So most countries are grappling with it. Last week alone, I had a three-day meeting uh, between regulators like ourselves from around the world discussing the enforcement issues, the, the licensing issues around crypto. So it is probably the number one topic in the, the financial regulatory space at the moment uh, that most countries are, are battling with because it's got a lot of knock-on effect into areas that aren't financial products as well as into existing uh, financial products that have been well-regulated for a number of years with, with very well-established principles. Um, and probably the biggest concern to all the regulators is going to be, how do we take these IT guys? Because the, the sector is predominantly uh, run by younger people that aren't used to complying with the laws 
like a, a banker is used to doing. And how do we convert these, these persons into quasi-bankers and quasi-financial advisors? Um, and that's the biggest concern that, 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 uh, that we're experiencing at the moment. I think one of the things that obviously it, it, it's tricky because if you start looking at the at the crypto world and some of the types of products that are coming out, I mean, they traverse all sorts of different financial services. You've got lending going on, collateralized lending. You've got stable coins. So you've got XR and a few other uh, stable coins, which are backed by the RAND. Now, because they're crypto, they're not actually regulated at the moment, but you can on-ramp and off-ramp into stable coins and you can purchase things abroad, bypassing central bank regulations using these, these instruments. This must be creating a lot of complexity for you. Would that be true to say? Yeah, and that's probably what makes the crypto world so, so difficult, is it's not falling into the scope of necessary one regulator. It has knock-on effects. There, and specifically in South Africa, where we have, um, re, re, shall we say, three main financial sector regulators that are going to be involved. You've got the credit re- regulator that's got, got a big say, and then you've got the, the Prudential Authority in the Reserve Bank, as well as the FECA. So it's not a matter of one regulator that's got to be involved in, in making the decisions, etc. It's going to involve multiple. And that's not just in South Africa, other countries as well. And that also gives you... a an indication of the importance as to why it needs to be regulated is because uh, it's not something that's that's a small time and it only affects a very small group of people. It's becoming larger and larger, not only in South Africa, but worldwide. It's unfortunately become very complex and also rather large in value. So it's becoming significant to the economies of the world. Yeah, I mentioned in the intro that the FSCA is working overtime to stay on top of the crypto scammers. The big one we had in South Africa back in 2020, of course, was Mirror Trading International. You did sound the alarm on that uh, in August of that year. And we've reported quite extensively in MoneyWeb what has happened there with MoneyWeb. But it, it has been a, quite a catastrophe for the people who, who got involved there. Now, last month, you put out a warning about a company called Bitminer Blockchain Core, which uh, apparently was falsely claiming to be licensed by the FSCA and was offering returns of 11% per day. Now, now Mirror Trading International was offering 10% per month um, or up to 10% per month. 11% a day, I think people maybe should be waking up to this by now, but apparently not. So we've heard this kind of story before, and this is one of many such groups using cryptos as a way to scam people out of their money. Are cryptos still a major source of financial scams that are coming across your desk? They are rather significant, but unfortunately, I think that the the biggest scams are still Forex-related, derivative trading offered by international organizations, international platforms, uh, that use Forex's underlying basis of how they're making the returns. But the payment mechanism to get the money onto these platforms is very often uh, crypto. Uh, if it's not that, it's using your credit card. And I remind people that if you use credit card for purchasing uh, something like this, you're breaching the uh, financial regulations of the Reserve Bank. Um, so you must be very careful. If you want to send money offshore for investment purposes, you have to go through an authorized dealer, which in most was basically for the man in the street, a, a, a bank. Yeah, so don't become a criminal as such uh, whilst being uh, taken for a ride by other criminals. 
And then, yes, there is the people that are invested in, in crypto platforms, very often foreign crypto platforms that aren't legitimate. Um, remember, as a financial sector regulator, warning to the public of the volatility of most crypto assets as such, and that we don't consider it to be a prime or a very good investment mechanism at all. And people really should be extremely cautious before they enter into it. But regardless of that, when they do enter into it, they end up sending their money to, to scammers. So for those that really believe they've taken the correct advice and they know what they're doing, before you send your money to anybody, you know, check them out. Make sure that's a local entity, has local bank accounts, local registered addresses, do some internet research, etc. on it. But yes, it still remains a, a large or significant area of current fraudulent investment activity. But it's not the only area. Forex and other derivative platforms are also quite active at the moment. I've spoken to several of the, the exchanges, the crypto exchanges in South Africa about this, and they're all itching to have regulations in place because they would then be able to apply for and obtain a license. And I think this is the, the sort of a watershed moment for the crypto market in South Africa. And you know, even at money where we get emails all the time from people and saying, is this a legitimate operation? Is that a legitimate operation or not? And, you know, of course, you, you can only go on reputation at this point, but when when you have licensing, it's going to be the responsibility of the FSCA to look after it. And I think it does give people some guidance as to who they can reasonably trust and, and who they shouldn't. So when you're talking about, you know, offshore crypto scams, those kind of things will get easier to be weeded out, right? Correct. That's one of the advantages for regulation. I mean, we regulate many things. We regulate various option schemes and other complicated financial products, including normal shares. When you invest in any, any investment, it is not guaranteed and is highly risky. Just because the, the industry is regulated does not mean that the underlying investment product is safe. And that's the biggest concern and a message we need for the public to understand that even once it is regulated, does not mean that, the, that what you're investing in is safe. It just means that you're dealing with has gone through certain diligence processes on the part of a regulator so that you're not necessarily giving your money directly to a scammer. The problem with, with many things that go wrong in life, there are many legitimate banks that have failed in the world, for instance, and they fail with regulation. Now, what is happening in the crypto space specifically is many of them are operating large financial operations, as you have mentioned earlier, but they've got no rules that says how much money must be reserved before they unloan that money to somebody else. They have no processes on how to ensure that their organization is necessarily safe from a cyber attack and that even if the organization is legitimate, it doesn't necessarily mean that your money is safe. And many legitimate operations still end up in having to close down. And that's our biggest concern uh, with the delay in the regulation process is that uh, the processes which need to be in place to ensure that legitimate people don't make mistakes, which result in your savings getting lost, they get delayed. It does not necessarily mean that the underlying product remains safe, but at least we know that the procedures that we will require to be in place are actually uh, there so that basic mistakes don't happen, which cost you money. Have you got a timeline for 
introducing regulations for public comment is it likely to happen this year what's your take on that my take is that it will happen this year um at least the, the public consultation but there's a few ways in which the regulations can be rolled out some are determinations by the minister and others require an actual change to uh, an act or part of a new act that's going through through parliament um and these all are factors which delay the potential uh, time it will take. So the minimum would be probably six months to a year before the basic fastest approach could be implemented. But it would still need to be followed on with more thorough changes to legislation, which could take probably up to five years. Either. So or maybe less. Let's hope it would be less. But we want to get the first draft out as quickly as possible to at least put a basic level of protection in place whilst the, the slower processes are, are undertaken. Right. There's obviously multiple uses for cryptos, one of them being as a way of making remittances. So that's quite a big market in Africa. In some countries like the Gambia, that accounts for, I think it's in excess of 40% of GDP. So that would be Gambians in the diaspora sending money back home. Uh, but the cost of doing that is is extraordinarily high if you're doing it through the banking system. And this is one of the uses that crypto and blockchain can bring to that. Another one of these uses is blockchain technology as a means of making payments and for lending, earning interest, and so on. Then we've, we've spoken about stable coins, which are facsimiles of real currencies like the US dollar and the RAND. So I imagine regulating this activity means that you've got so many different laws that have to be considered. When these regulations come out, do you want to see it as a kind of a light touch regulation, or we'd like to see a host of different laws that need to be redrafted in order to accommodate cryptos? Well, ideally, when you bring out a form of regulation, you want to try and cover principles so that you don't have to change it with every little new nuance that comes up in the world or some clever person in the middle of the night discovers a new way to do something. So we try and be as principled as, as, as possible. However, you still got to, when you're dealing with such a broad spectrum of potential types of crypto, you have to be quite thorough. And that is part of the reason why it is taken longer than, than I would have hoped. Um, and I think that other regulators would have hoped that it would take. But the initial set of regulations come out should cover 95% of, of scenarios. Uh, you know, non-fungible tokens, for instance, unless there's a financial element, it will not be fall within the scope of our regulations. And there's just so many potential outcomes in the crypto world which can materialize in the end. So that's why it's going to be as principle-based as possible so that we don't have to go backwards and forwards to Parliament every time something new develops. Okay, you, you've been quite outspoken on your views about cryptos and Bitcoin uh, and the fact that uh, Bitcoin doesn't generate an earnings flow in the same way that most other investments do. And of course, that's a view that's been echoed by people like uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and many others. There's obviously worldwide concern about cryptos enabling scams. And that's one of the things that people who are critics of crypto have brought up. But, you know, the, the people who are proponents of crypto say, well, you know, cash is used in pretty much the same way. You know, if you're doing a drug deal, you're probably going to do it in cash. Um, have you softened in your views of, of crypto and Bitcoin over the last year or so? I've never been a person that believes that crypto makes fraud occur as such. I mean, Crypto is just uh, the modern payment mechanism that makes it easier for it sometimes to occur. And it's also because it's so understood. 
makes it easier for people to swallow the, the belief of a 10% per month or per day return on money, which is impossible. Anybody in business understands that. But when you deal with something that is new, it's easier for people to understand that. So that the real problem with crypto is the, the, the lack of understanding by people so that they, can, they will swallow a nonsense story much easier. I'm very positive about the applications of crypto itself and the technology and DeFi and the blockchain as such. And specifically certain stable coins, I personally believe have got a lot of potential for, for use in, in the future. I've always just been very negative about certain of the mainstream crypto assets where people have seen large returns on the investment over the past few years and believe that it's necessarily going to carry on. And that's why we issued the warning about the volatility of underlying crypto assets and other regulators have done so also around the world. Crypto itself is not a bad thing. It's a blind belief that crypto will just keep on growing and crypto assets will grow. Um, we just need people to understand that the underlying business reasoning behind a crypto is sound and makes sense. For me, that's the biggest issue. Don't necessarily believe there's any basis for a crypto to go up in value. The two main answers that have been given in the past, you touched on earlier, is that it's a great payment mechanism. I think that's a subject for a different discussion, but my understanding and discussion with most crypto people that want to acknowledge that at the moment, payments have is not really that effective or easier to do than some of the traditional banking platforms, but it does have a lot of potential in the future for improvement in the payment area. But it's not the reason why some of the main crypto assets have gone up in value. And the real reason my crypto assets have gone up in value, I and I think many other regulators uh, believe, is because of the perception by the man in the street that this 400% return offered in X or, or, or Y crypto asset is going to carry on in the future. When all we are saying is, but there's no basis for the 400% growth or 500% growth that took place in the past because there's actually really nothing there other than a perceived value of somebody and, uh, and somebody's got to be prepared to give you that value in the future. And as soon as their sentiment changes against any, any asset, um, it could fall and become worth nothing. And people just need to understand that. And that's, uh, so I'm not going to soften my, my approach to the, the value of certain crypto assets as a long-term store of value, as a mechanism for speculation and gambling. It's probably as good as certain other ones, except it's not regulated, whereas the gambling industry is regulated. That's why some form of regulation is required and why self-regulation by the part of the, the local players is another area which, which needs to be looked at um, to prevent the industry from getting a terrible reputation because none of the underlying asset because of the players in, in, the, in the market. And I take it, Brandon, uh, that you, you, you're not uh, buying the dip at the moment with uh, Bitcoin. You, you're not a Bitcoin to the moon type of guy. I didn't know there was a was a was a dip. I, I don't follow the Bitcoin price or any of the other crypto assets. Unfortunately, I have bought a very small amount um, purely to check out the financial intelligence center compliance of certain of the local providers. I must admit I haven't been overly impressed yet. They say we've we are voluntarily compliant, but I'm still waiting to give them a copy of my ID book. So um, I haven't seen it yet. But I, I'm not a 
a believer in the long-term value of, of certain of the main crypto assets, no. <laughs> All right. Um, and also just on the payments thing, yeah, I, th- I think one of the one of the developments we're likely to see in the years ahead is these blockchain technologies being used to reduce the cost of payments and also speed them up and in, speed up the settlement. So just recently, we've had Strike, which is a fintech payment processing company. Um, they're integrating with Blackhawk Network, which is the largest payment processor in the world. So these things are happening and they're they're being rolled out and you're going to see more and more volumes, I think, being pushed through on the blockchain. Do you see that? I personally believe that that type of thing will happen. I just know at the moment it's, it's not that effective as a payment mechanism, I, I don't believe. But I do see that working with existing financial institutions and with uh, payment associations, that that type of thing will improve in the long term. But that's part of the regulation process. As we put the regulations in place, other government agencies, et cetera, will be able to do their bit, but easier so that it can be brought into the mainstream system as such. And that should have the knock-on effects of making it quicker and also cheaper. That will have more value for other countries. I think in the South African market, we have a pretty well-established payment system that, that's not necessarily going to benefit from current developments in the crypto space. But there is going to be a lot of crypto developments that is going to change the financial landscape. I'm pretty certain of that and, and how people transfer shares and how they raise capital in the money. That's another regulator uh, which is going to have a strong interest in the longer term in stable coins. Because there are all these other ways in which the stable coins can can be um, utilized. From a payments point of view, I don't see any strong argument that is needed in South Africa. The average South African has many opportunities to be integrated into the financial sector in a cost-efficient manner and systems that work. But in the longer term, maybe they will be even more efficient because of the use of crypto. But currently, no forward in the future probably okay brandon topham head of enforcement at the financial sector conduct authority we're going to leave it there and we look forward to having more news from you in the months hopefully in in even weeks to come about the progress in introducing regulations i know the whole market is very keen for that to happen so i want to thank you for coming on the money with crypto podcast my pleasure and um can assure you we're going to push on our side to get those regulations out as quickly as possible. Great stuff, Brandon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.